Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we talk about fishing in a crowd, Nick's recent striper fishing trip, and we go through our top five favorite fishing TV shows of all time based on popularity. We'll see if you guys agree with us, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy the rest. Thanks. Nick's flustered. Rob's phone's overheating. I'm personally overheating, and we're back after two weeks. Uh, we're really sorry that we missed the last episode, but you know, as I mentioned in that post, I didn't have any Wi-Fi. These guys were down to do it. I had no Wi-Fi last week, but we're back. We're going to try not to miss another week, and uh, it actually made us feel good that a couple people were upset that we missed an episode. So thank you, guys, and uh, what's going on uh, with my buddies here? Rob and Nick, how are you guys? Doing good. How you doing? Really good, man. Is Nick, and is, is Nick, Nick still here? There? Yeah, so I, I turned video off. I feel like I've got a bad internet connection. So we're, we're pulling out all the stops to ensure quality control at the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I know you missed, Rob, you were commenting on how much you love my new hairstyle. I wouldn't want to deprive you of seeing it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for bringing it back, man. It's awesome. Does it, does it have a name? What is that hairstyle? I think that's denial is what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, that, the, cir- the circle. Yeah, well, cul-de-sacs, right? Our our friend cul-de-sac <laughs> is back. I I need a shave, man. It, we uh we're we're entering COVID crisis number thirty-one in Arizona. I'm gonna be buzz cutting again. I feel like the salons or the hair places are getting closed soon, probably. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm actually about due again, and uh, gosh, I better get it in quick if I'm gonna do it. Um, okay, so let's just kind of do our our normal intros and get get back into the swing of things uh nick we'll start with you what uh, what have you been up to over the last two weeks since we last talked man finally in the long history of this podcast over the last two weeks i was able to get out and wet the line somewhat consistently and uh thanks to stealing all of rob's a information from guiding looking like a social media hero to all my non-fishing friends and family with all these fish that we've been catching so it's been fun man that's cool. It's nice when you can call your buddy and uh, drive right to him. You know, that, when you that, haven't been on the water in, in six months. That's pretty sweet. It's kind I've of a requirement the, to hang out with me. I've got the best story. So I get up at three in the morning to go do my guide trip, right? And I get to the lake. We get on the water at like 445 in the morning. The sun is barely coming up. And we get out there and fish and we're catching fish. Fishing's pretty good. And I get a text from Nick about eight o'clock maybe 7 30 he goes are they still boiling (laughs) yeah they're boiling pretty good he goes sweet 10 minutes out 10 minutes out i'm like okay right on so he knows where we're fishing i figured he's just going to show up and he doesn't show up and all of a sudden he goes all right on my way to walmart to get a starting battery oh no i didn't hear about that but here's the best part about it is so as I'm coming off the water, I'm thinking the, the boils are done. I'm just thinking the fishing's just like, I felt so bad for him. Right. <laughs> and he ends up pulling it out and catching a bunch of fish, which is awesome. So we, yeah. uh, we were, we were coming off the water as they were starting and, uh, they managed to crush them pretty good. So pretty cool. Well done, Thanks, Nick. Well, I now remember why I like Rob. He makes me feel like a hero. Have you guys ever had one of those trips to the lake where kind of like trying to start this podcast, all of a sudden everything just goes wrong? Like the wheel, all four wheels on the bus go in opposite directions. Oh, heck yeah, dude. Yeah, all the time. That was that morning, man. You know, because I've got small kids, 
my brother was driving down from Flagstaff to meet us there. So there was only about 37 moving parts in the whole operation. And there was no way I was getting the unit up at three to be there for first flight. Like Rob had said, I was kind of banking on the late morning deal. But Ben, it's just so funny when you, you finally get there, right? You back the boat down and you go to crank it and it just can't turn over. And you're like, really? <laughs> I charged you all night. I've got 500 pounds of snacks. I've got all my kids sunscreened. I'm finally going to get to go fishing and the battery wouldn't start. I had a little come to Jesus moment there, but we persevered and we got her done. That's good. It's, it only takes one thing. I, and I've had a few of those drives home, like at least the battery, it's you were able to go get another battery and that sucks. But, uh, you know, over the years I've had some, you're all fired up to fish. You're up early. And then all of a sudden you're just driving home at like, yeah, 530 in the morning, it's barely <laughs> light. And you're just driving home. You just drove to the lake and you're driving home, you know, and trying Stay to figure out the how, legs. when are you going to get your boat fixed? <laughs> it's a, it's a bad feeling, man. And I think all anglers can, uh, you know, can, they all know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So poor me, right? Well, I'm glad it still worked out. Did Cody catch some on the fly? Dude, he did. He caught one and it was a pretty good fish. It was probably like a four pounder out of a boil. And uh, it was pretty funny though, because I always give him loads of crap for how ineffective fly fishing is compared to conventional fishing You're most right. of the time. I mean, there's some, there's some specific times where maybe it's more advantage advantageous but dude so we're like having to just you know idle around and then those fish would come up and we would just hammer down on the throttle and shoot over to them and like jump up on the front deck get your line out in the boil because they were really boat shy at that point and they were going down by the time you got to them so dude he'd like hop up on the front deck of the boat and start whipping the fly rod trying to get enough line out to get it out there and then he'd finally get it out there and then the momentum of the boat carrying forward he'd have tons of slack in his line so he's like trying to strip all the line really fast and pick it up and throw it again and it was just i got to the point dude where i would just stay sitting in the driver's seat with the spinning rod and cast this grounder head sitting down and just be reeling it in like oh got another one dude how you doing up there <laughs> <laughs> Just wait for him it's, to fail his attempt and just show him how easy it I is. I would just cast time. over him, dude, because he still is only getting like 40 feet, so I could bomb it like 90 feet sitting down. <laughs> He's a great fly fisherman. It's just he brought a four weight, and the uh, the odds were just not in his favor. Oh, but he did stuff. Oh, yeah. He, but he did hook up, and then he let my daughter reel it in, so that was pretty cool. It was a long battle. It was probably like a five-minute fight getting that fish to the boat, so it's cool. Yeah, I'm amazed the size of the stripers out there now. I've Dude, and they pull Pleasant. like freight trains. Yeah, I haven't. I've never seen Pleasant with the quality stripers like that, and it's uh, it's got a single handily be from the the gizzard shad that are in there. The, what else could the it fish, be? Yeah, I mean, I've got one area where I've been fishing where, I mean, we're throwing the Ben Parker eight inch spoon, and it's the exact same size as the bait they're chasing. It's wow. it's incredible. So, Rob, you think there's some twenty pounders swimming around out there? Rob There's got to be. I just think they're kind of like the rogue, but who knows, you know? Yeah, yeah, like the 1%. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's really cool. I'm glad. And we're going to – I've got it uh, jotted down here. We're going to go a little bit deeper into some tactics for, for fishing these boiling fish a little bit later. I think they would be kind of cool to talk yeah. about. And uh, we're also going to talk about what you did with them afterwards eating them. But, yeah, go ahead, Rob. I have to give props to uh, our buddy Jesse Parks. I mean, he's – Nick's saying I put him on him, but Jesse, ultimately, he's like my Lake Pleasant connection, man. He is. is. He's legit. He, like, like I can text him, and 
also Scooter and Sean Coffee, all the other guides. I mean, they they help me out on Pleasant too. But there's some some about Jesse, man. He's dialed in on that lake. It's pretty cool. So that's not cool. an easy lake to dial. No, yeah. it's not. Especially the stripers, man. They're so random, and it's just like like. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty impressive how well he catches them out there and his willingness to help me out. So hopefully cool. uh, hopefully he's not listening because I'm telling Nick all, I'm telling everyone else how to catch him. Oh, he's listening, bro. It's cool. <laughs> he's I guarantee. And hey, so. I'll give him some props too. He's a heck of a fisherman. Uh, and, and dude, yeah. I don't know anyone that loves catching uh, stripers as much as Jesse. Like, oh, dude, when he gets into the, and he's a tournament fisherman, you know, but when he gets onto the striper bite out there. He is at that lake every Constantly. day. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he loves catching those stripers. They're, and they're fun to catch, dude. I, You know, I, I've had plenty of trips catching them super deep, and it's fun to catch them deep. But, boy, there's no funner time than right now when they're chasing on the surface. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a blast. But, he has uh, some of the he has some of the funniest social media clips too. It's pretty funny watching him. So anyhow, it, he's like the type to try to catch like two or three at once, and his dog's running all over the boat, and uh, you know he's just he's loving it, dude. You could have fun, dude. And my kids were kind of lulled to sleep with all the index finger sized bluegill we'd been catching. So when I hooked one and handed the rod to my daughter the first time, I made sure the drag was backed off so that it would pull pretty hard, dude. It was so fun watching them just getting their butts kicked, you know, on six pound test on a spinning reel, just the drill burning off of it. It's cool. Did uh, were they so were they boiling on? We're going to talk about them now since doesn't actually make does, doesn't make sense to leave the stripers and come back to them. So were they boiling on fry or were they boiling on shad? So there's in my in my opinion, there's two different uh, different parts of the lake. The area where I'm catching them on the big spoon or we're Arizona fishing guides are catching them on the big spoon is uh, they're not essentially boiling at all. You'll see them boil huh. every once in a while, but you're just following the birds because the birds are just waiting for those big fish to push the gizzard chat up. So they're really difficult to get on them and stay on them because they're not boiling, right? You're just, they're just five foot deep and you're catching them on, on the big spoon. So you need that live um, scope, dude. Yeah, you do need the live scope. That would be legit right there. So, um, other parts of the lake they're on little teeny shad and it's very key to throw you know like clear topwater baits or small little swim baits the fly if you could effectively get the little streamers or the flies in there would be the ultimate bait it's just it's hard to i mean those fish are up for such short periods of time it's mm-hmm. hard to get the fly in there, just like Nick was saying Cody was struggling with that but and Cody's a legitimate fly fisherman yeah, like, he's good yeah so I mean if you're like I think if if Cody would have had a big saltwater fly rod and and you know been more dialed in that cast yeah yeah yeah, it would have been a different story but yeah so that's my take on what do you think Nick oh I echo that 100 percent you know and I saw some of the shad I didn't get up into the gizzards shad stuff and I haven't had a chance to go back and really just mop it up now that I have all this new information jokingly um i i was chasing the fish lower in the lake that were on shad and some of the shad were a little bit bigger though i i saw a few, there was some shad in my live that got puked up that were really yeah a little bit bigger but i mean like they're two not inches yeah in that range so are these so those, tiny tiny shad they're basically just the shad spawn happened a month a month or two ago are these are these just the fingerling or fry shad it's they, gotta be and a lot of times they'll chase your swim bait in you'll You'll, you'll reel a little swim bait in and there'll be a 
school of them behind it and flipping around it and, and they're you know an inch long is it just that smart oh the shad are following you i got you the shad mm-hmm. yes yep yep so it's um you know any anytime you're chasing boiling fish if they're stripers or largemouth or spotted bass or whatever when they're small bait they're hard to catch in a lot of situations yeah, so it's you really frustrating yeah yeah but the i think the clear topwater bait doesn't look as big right and then uh-huh. um you know the little swim baits kind of mimic what you're doing there. trying to get a teeny is, so. and moving it real fast right <laughs> super fast just don't give them a chance to look at it right? uh-huh those are great so. tips now how big are the uh, I think I'm I'm picking up that you said later in the day the boils kind of got smaller and fewer and farther between, which makes sense. Or not? Not, not really. really. Not, really, not really. Yeah. It seems like it seems like they get they get later in the day it gets better. It's just really? the weirdest thing. And yeah. uh, my my last couple trips I've only been able to capitalize on the early morning gizzard shad deal and have not even i mean our trips are four hours so we're starting at five we're done at nine i've extended some of them till 10 just waiting to get on those boils and they haven't happened so 100 dude and i'm on the uh, not 5 a.m schedule for how far away i live and with my kids and everything and by like i would say 11 or noon until i was getting off the water at like 6 p.m was when it was finally starting to happen so wow that's perfect nick that's cool dude yeah, i was lucky <laughs> what uh and Okay, so, uh, and you said they were getting pretty boat shy? Like, you no. had to stop a ways well, off? See, everyone sees this differently, and I'm going to start a conversation here, like, because everyone has different, sometimes you feel they're boat shy, sometimes you think that noise actually activates them. So, what what did well, you guys see, and then we'll talk about it. My best day was when there was six wakeboard boats and 12 <laughs> jet skis going around us. Let's turn I mean? the and shad it, up, dude. Right, and you feel like they're boat shy because you run up to them and they go down and but they just come, they just come up and go down so quick. Anyhow, I think that's just part of it. And then eventually you'll, you'll just get lucky and all of a sudden they'll be boiling all around, all the way around you. You just happen to be in the middle of them. You know, your timing was just right. So yeah, 100% uh, agree with that, dude. I misspoke by saying boat shy. I think it's just the luck of the draw being able to get there fast enough before they go back down. <laughs> yeah, that you makes definitely sense. need like for myself, guiding folks you have to have like pretty athletic agile people that be like okay hold on because we're gonna motor over there really quick and it's not and like spring uh, up super fast and then like capably cast and then capably keep your hands on the spinning really keep real i mean it's yeah i was leaping over my kids and it was amazing no one got hurt so i can't imagine a you know a client just being like without being a very hardcore fisherman that's a not always one a recipe my, for success. One of my best days, I had a couple mid 20 year old guys and they're obviously young and agile could cast, you know, and uh-huh. the one guy, I, I wish I could remember his name, but I'm like, Hey, right there. No pressure. As soon as I said, no pressure, like he just completely <laughs> melts down. Cast, you know? <laughs> <laughs> How many times awesome. have, have you seen him blown up and you just backlash your reel? Like it doesn't oh, matter yeah. how good of a fisherman right. you are. You're just going right. to, it just happens. Dude, I remember I was at Gunnersville one time. And dude, you know, I was having a so-so day. Nothing's blown up on bait. It's April. I, a lot of the fish I'm catching are off beds. And dude, it looked like National Geographic in front of my boat, just randomly in the back of this creek. I'm not kidding. Four to eight pounders, all of them, oh my blown God. up on big gizzard shad, dude. Like wow. it is. I'm watching these six to eight inch gizzard shad fly out of the water, get cut in half, get eaten, and they're all giants, dude. And uh, 
I uh, all I had on the deck of the boat that somewhat emulated the shad was a jerk bait, and I freaking I'll still <laughs> picture it perfectly. I hadn't blown the reel up all week. I blow this reel up, dude, on the first cast. <laughs> Just strong arming it, trying to get it out there. <laughs> Doesn't get out to him, and by the time I get this backlash out, they're done. Never saw him again. No. I was so disappointed. So disappointed. It would have wow. been guaranteed five pounder at least oh, yeah. one. You know, at least one. But That's, yeah, I mean, as soon as you're, there's something in your head that goes like, don't screw this up and you screw it up, you know, dude. Just, that's the way it is. I love doing that. Like when you have like a, a good thing going on in the boat with clients, just mess with them a little bit like that. It always makes the other guy belly laugh when you kind of mess yeah. up his buddy. <laughs> and then your tips go down drastically. I don't care. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> it also reminds me, man, you know, and, and anytime you're sight fishing, um, you know, bed fishing maybe is excluded from that. But when you're actually like actively sight fishing to a fish that's eating or in the behavior to eat, you know, a lot of times saltwater fishing that happens. And I've had experiences like shallow water flats fishing where you've been standing there waiting and the other guy's been like working his butt off, pushing you around with the push pole. And then all of a sudden it's like, OK, 120 feet. 10 o'clock, get ready, and you just go dumb. Like, nothing oh, works yeah. anymore. Your hands stop working. You can't cast. You can't do anything. And you just, like, uh, it's – so when you do actually perform, you have to feel pretty good because 9 out of 10 times, you're just going to lay an egg. It's a pressure-packed scenario. And I'll tell you uh, two things that I've found, like, if you're really, really just trying to be effective here, not just have fun or whatever, um, if you want – if, if say, say you're – save the bass are doing this which they do i actually cast a check in an flw tournament you know 10 years ago doing this they were blowing up in open water and but they were it was rare enough that if you had your cast out like it was happening once every three minutes but if you had your line out by the time you reeled in and threw in there it was too late so i'd sit there dude sometimes two three four five minutes without making a cast and my co-angler is looking at me like dude you're an idiot but when they'd boil you know, you're instantly ready. You throw in there instantly and you don't throw 10 feet past them or you don't throw 10 feet to the right or left unless you think they're definitely going that way. But you throw exactly where the last one came up. And uh, that's how you can be the assassin and catch those fish. Like, yeah. have you guys ever been in a situation like that where you're not even casting until they blow up? So many times. And it's hard to convince clients to do that. Yes, man. Like, just sit here and wait, right? And then yeah. when they cast 10, to, 10 foot to the right, you just encourage them that the fish was going that direction. Yeah. <laughs> I saw his tail too, man. Yeah, he's <laughs> he was going, going that way. way. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, I mean, that's a big deal. Like just sitting there and waiting is way more productive than casting and casting and casting. But those like minutes say. feel like hours. Yep. Yep. They do. And hey, I'm always on this podcast plugging spy baits. Uh, I know a reason. guy who makes one, but no, I'll tell you, uh, okay. I'll tell you guys, <laughs> I'll tell you guys another really cool use for it is, is when they do stop boiling on this, uh, you know, that when you're fishing all morning, they're blowing up, blowing up and the boils start to get super sporadic. Um, that thing looks like just a single shad that lost his way from the school and you can cast that thing down, let it sink 10 feet. And, uh, it's super effective on largemouth spots, smallmouth, and striper when you're around boils and the boils start to dissipate. Have you guys tried that? Yeah. I know yeah, Rob I've has. Thrown them on, I've thrown them on, uh, on largemouth at Saguaro when they would boil. And so often, before you'd even start reeling, you'd have a fish on. And it's just from that, that slow, whatever you want to call it, the way it sinks, you know. And 
definitely, like you said, when they stop boiling, they'll eat that thing. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, there's better ways when they're blowing up to catch them. But when it gets, you know, it gets, it's just a great cleanup bait. Catch another handful of fish before uh, calling it a day on whatever spot you're fishing. Yeah, I'd, so, I think it would be really effective on those stripers. I just have a hard time throwing it on them because I like to throw it on light line, you know. Yeah. And I think if I was fishing, it'd be different, but it'd get real expensive with clients, I think. I hear you. I'll give you some, dude. All right. if you, if you uh, ask nicely. So, and Rob, you've been throwing a lot of top water and swim baits. Nick, you said the scrounger quite a bit. Yeah. You know, so this is a, a tech question I was going to ask you guys because I um, kind of had a little hiatus there for a while. I didn't have a boat and uh, I moved twice in the last uh, handful of months. And so my tackle was in an extreme state of disarray. Um, and so when, when this was coming to be, it was kind of a last second audible and I didn't have a chance to run over to, um, sportsman's warehouse and get some like modern up-to-date stuff. So I was going through a little scavenger hunt and all my boxes from moving, trying to find what I had. Um, and, and luckily dude, my scrounger heads were so old that the bills were they go bad. Yeah. Oh. I can't believe they still worked. I'm amazed. one out of one out of five, one out of five. <laughs> and I, and I had eight. <laughs> It's evident that it's evident you had a hiatus because scroungers aren't even cool anymore. So, yeah, that's right. why they work, though, dude. That's I why know, they I'm work, man. That's it's just weird how we we always like get in trends. Like the scrounger was such a deal, right? Mm-hmm. And then You're now right. we're completely off. It's just dumb how fishermen are. So I might turn my microphone off and go back inside because the guy who uses monofilament to flip just called what I did old school or like outdated. <laughs> it's probably over. I think I think you guys need to find a new third wheel on this podcast because that is that is how bad that was. But yeah, so those scrounger heads were like ready for the Smithsonian Museum. They were so old. But I also had a lot of plastics that uh, were old. What's kind of a rule of thumb? on uh different plastics and like shelf life so obviously if the package has been opened it's not a good thing but what about like i had some that hadn't lost you know hadn't changed colors but you could tell they were like slimy it's a good, it must just totally vary uh, from the brand right like you're gonna notice a lot of them definitely do fade especially uh if they're made in california they've got some regulations over there where they have uh. to use certain stuff in their plastic and uh couple of the brands will fade terribly even after a year or two but uh dude i mean uh, majority of the brands i've got bags of, of soft baits that are five or ten years old that i have uh no problems throwing you how throw about them. you Bob? yeah what yeah i've got yeah, i've got some back stock that's super old and it's exactly like you said some of the brands from california some of them won't even last six months you know the damn no. fun police well i never even thought about it, it was just regulations over there that totally makes sense so um, but a lot of the other ones, I mean, granted now it's probably going to be a different story for me with, uh, my boat used to always be in the garage. Now it's sitting outside for the, this, this, you know, next year or so. So stuff's probably going to age a lot quicker, but, uh, I don't Who's know. tapping? Just, not me. Sorry. <laughs> what was that? Nick's tapping. It was me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Rob. I cut you off in the middle of what you're talking about. My bad. That's all right. That was but, more. That was worse than the tapping. Me just cutting you off like a blow. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if it. you don't mind indulging me a little bit further, because this blossomed into a problem, pro- not a problem, but something I was wondering. How do you? And I don't mean to sidetrack us deeply, but what? So what do you guys do as far as organizing soft plastics? You know what I mean? Like popping things out of packages and putting them in boxes, leaving just the packages in like bigger ziplocs. Like how do you? 
wrap your mind around some of that chaos because I have a lot of chaos right now. That's a great question. I I don't know, dude. I'm not the most organized guy. Um, you know, and Rob is really good at kind of being minimal on having the stuff that he, you know, the stuff that he uses, he has, and he doesn't have like, you know, he doesn't keep a, a stupid overstock like a lot of fishermen do. And I'll let you speak for yourself there, Rob. But uh, I don't know, for me, there's only really like one bait that I put in a box and it's because I use it so much and it's always in the boat all year long and it's a pit boss. And those dudes, I just will flip them in any, any place, anywhere, anytime. And I like to have eight different colors available just to match the water and the forage. But other than, so I have one box of those that never leaves the boat in a tray. But other than that, I like to keep them in the bags and, you know, dude, I keep them when you get, when you get a lot of baits, I like to keep them on the walls and stuff. That way I can see them and grab them before I go. But, um, a lot of them live in like big gallon size Ziploc bags and stuff like that in my boat and truck. And they're organized by shape and size. But I do think that it's, it's productive to keep them in the bags. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Ziploc bag guy. Like yeah. I just, I put all my little swim baits in one bag. I put all my chigger craws and 10 inch power worms in another, you know, that type of stuff. And, um, the problem is those bags deteriorate pretty quick. Yeah. So you're always, you know, you're continually changing them, but, um, I I'm the worst when it comes to organization. It's, uh, every once in a while I'll get in my boat and reorganize, but it doesn't last long, you know? Okay. And, and I'm, I don't know. I, and maybe it's the way my boat's laid out right now. I just have a hard time putting soft plastics in a Plano or a hard sided box and, and it's just not convenient to get to it. Um, the bags just seem to be the way to go. So maybe having like a legit pegboard set up in your garage and then just when you know you're going to lake, grabbing a couple, a handful of them and throwing them in the boat or just having a big Ziploc, you know, of them just ready Dude, to go if you're using them all the time there's advantages yeah. to that especially if you're fishing the same lakes all the time and my challenge is dude i've got to go from that and also pack the truck for weeks and weeks but dude if when in the off season when i'm just fishing at home you don't need more than a couple bags of a certain bait for a day of fishing so it's really easy to just throw it in the boat hey, and, ultra and light. the bit yeah you're not loading your boat down with a bunch of stuff uh you you know what inventory you have because they're not buried like you know you know okay i've only got one bag left of those uh, but the other thing is they don't get kinked and, uh, you know, when stuff's all crushed up on each other too, they kink and, um, you know, the stuff in my truck always ends up, I always end up having baits that get kinked and messed up. So it's kind of frustrating. Cool. Well, that kind of gives me some guidance. So thanks. I didn't mean to just completely derail the train on that, but now that I'm, you know, elbows deep in a new boat and trying to get things organized, like this is my chance to actually start on a good foot versus just continuing a tornado. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, right on. Well, last episode and we're getting, for some reason, we're getting really techie in these couple, but that's okay. We can go back and forth from silly to techie. Um, last episode, we talked about fishing offshore summer, summer ledges and stuff like that. And it actually had some pretty good feedback. People liked it. And, um, I wanted, I don't want to go super, super deep into it again, but there are a couple things we didn't talk about. And I just lived another two weeks of it fishing, uh, on the Tennessee river. I, when I spoke with you guys last, I just got to Pickwick and, uh, fish there for a few days, basically for fun in between. And then our, our tournament in Chickamauga followed it. And, um, it was, uh, 75% of the field probably fished ledges and it fished really, really small. Like, um, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think, uh, 
what do you think the most people you ever shared a spot with, like most boats you ever shared a spot with, uh, would be on one, one little place? Do you have anywhere well, you was like more than three or something like that? Yeah, there was, um, there's a point called red point. I think it's red point. It's at, um, San Carlos. It's just hilarious, dude. It's just this big ledge. It's right before the two rivers at the mouth of the two rivers. And there's these big, foundations out on this end before it breaks off and i mean in the summertime almost every tournament would be won there but you would pull up and there i mean if you're the first guy there you'd watch 20 dudes pull up and if you were the last guy there there'd be 20 boats there i mean it was just insane the amount of of boats that would fish that spot and i, I don't know always one guy would catch them or two boats would catch them you know no that's so risky man yep yep it's just weird so i mean arizona's got a lot of that stuff where it's community holes like that and deep uh, structure yeah it's and it i mean that's a it's close to ledge fishing like that's what i would think it would be like on the tennessee oh yeah and it's getting you worse know? and worse because and, and it's, so i say worse but yeah everyone's learning about it the electronics are getting the better. electronics right and there's no secrets anymore like if you go back not, to go ahead so going through my head this last couple of weeks watching you guys back there and how frustrating that must be with you know 200 boats boat draws being boat 150 and you've got a really good ledge you know you're not going to get it you might get it the last day but then you're dealing with guys that have fished it and have rights to it you know it's just frustrating i would imagine yeah um how about i know this isn't like a genius idea but how about the guy that's just going to commit to fish shallow for the next John Cox. You know what I mean? What's well, look that? at John. Look at John Cox. Like you know, yeah. he's and, and, and hey, that's a it's a brilliant move. It's a brilliant move because yes. no one's doing it, and there's always enough for him to get through. And and he's one of the top probably three guys in the fishing world right now, uh, bass fishing right. world. So you're totally right. It's a great call. And when you make your comeback, I think that should be you, dude. <laughs> I'm serious. But. But you know how many guys, like, I mean, look at Denny Brower, the guy made a living shallow. Um, and there's so many guys that did, right? Yep. And and they fished all those same bodies of water, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's this, you can do it until you go smallmouth fishing. And then you'll get your yeah, teeth kicked yeah. in if you got a smallmouth schedule in the summertime. Right. But, you know, there, there are guys like, you know, Ish is a guy that's done that pretty much forever, dude. Uh, and then some of the guys that you would think do that. Uh, like a hackney, they're much more versatile. Than I think a, lo- a lot of people right. think not that issue isn't versatile. He just chooses to fish shallow all the time. Right. That's just what he does. But Cox is the perfect example of someone who is doing what you're saying and it's work. Cause he's all, all alone, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it, so, so on the complete other end of that, look at Jacob Wheeler and what he's done. And he just owns that structure. I don't, the, it's ridiculous what he's done. Yeah, I mean, it's, you text me this week, and, and I don't think this one surprised anyone because that's his home lake, but I'm not taking anything away from him. It's so hard to win on your home lake. and it's uh, impossible. He, dude, he took so many steps to uh, be sneaky here. It was, it was, a, it was, I commend him, dude. He unwrapped his boat so he yep. could fish out of an unmarked boat in practice and in the tournament, and uh, it's hilarious. Like, you know, everyone just knows everything, right? Like, every single school of fish you find, there's 50 other guys that know where that school's at. On this body of water, it's different in other places, but that's not the biggest body of water. And, yeah, in practice, I found probably 25 good schools of fish. And in the tournament, I think I fished four of them. 
And, uh, you know, it just because you're splitting them up with everybody, dude. Because you couldn't get on the other 16 of them. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and you just at some point have to be like, well, I'm on these. You know, I'm just going to wait until the current gets right. And, you know, I feel like this school is as good as any. So this is this is where I'm going to fish. You just can't do them all. Uh, and, and so the first day I ended up having my better the two days and I had some solid weight by like one o'clock. So I literally spent the entire afternoon running to every other spot. I thought I might fish to establish that, hey, I'm fishing here, too. So if I come here tomorrow, you can't yell at me and blah, blah, blah. But the second day. I played it safe. I was like, well, I'm in, in good contention to definitely get paid. And, you know, this is with everything going on in the world right now, getting a check's important. I'm going to make sure I leave out of here with a check so I can be pretty aggressive in the next couple tournaments. I also didn't feel like I had a great chance at winning. Um, but I played it safe. I sat on what I thought was my best numbers ledge all day. Eight hours later, I got 10 pounds. And guess what I told myself it would take to get a check? 10 pounds. I'd like 14 and a half the day before. So my, I thought for sure I'd catch 12 to 14 and make it easily, but now it's time for weigh-in and I got 10 pounds. And I know if one of these fish die, if I'm one second late, if the weights go up at all, I'm going to miss a check. And and I just did the dumbest thing ever, dude. So I literally, and Hey, get, get this as I'm running in, I pick something up in my motor. I got it like a 25 mile run in and I leave myself five extra minutes as you always do. Well, I get halfway there and I hear the sound of the motor change. And the boat slows down like 10 miles an hour. And I didn't realize I had picked something up. Uh, so I, I'm like freaking out, dude. But I'm like, I'm not slowing down. I kept it pegged the entire way in, sweating bullets. I make it in. I get off pad. And like half of a tree comes off the uh, lower unit, dude. It was, ra- you know, it was like ra- a soft tree that was wrapped around it. So all, it's all good. But I was I was so nervous coming in. I'm like, dude, I'm going to freaking lose, lose this already. So I get to weigh in. And sure enough, the weights are way tighter than I wanted them to be. And I'm watching myself drop one, drop one, stay one, stay one, drop one, stay one, drop one, stay one, drop one, stay one. And, uh, dude, it came down to the wire. I ended up making a check by like three ounces. You guys know this, but I made a check by three ounces. It was the worst. And it was a perfect example of why you never play it safe in tournament fishing. Because when you play it safe, it's got to go right for you to even be safe. But what if things don't go right? You know, if, if you're shooting for the stars and you come up a little short, you're still possibly In outer ahead space. of where, Yeah, you're up, you're <laughs> up ahead. Exactly, dude. You're up ahead of where you would have been playing it safe. Yeah, dude, that's just competition, too. I can think of like professional, like other sports, how that happens, too, right? A team's up big going into the fourth quarter. They play a little prevent, and then the next thing they know, they're only up by a score and they lose the game or, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like... Oh, I don't take any advice from me, but I'd say, yeah, that that's funny. When you take your foot off the gas, everything comes around. It was a nice yep. little reminder, dude, to, yeah, that you just have to be aggressive all the time. I was like, well, I got a school of fish here. I'll leave here with 10 grand and next couple of tournaments. I won't care about the points. I'll just go for it. And, uh, damn dude, that was almost a huge mistake. I would have been so mad at myself. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. probably, that's probably the happiest hundredth place you've ever finished. Right. Oh, by far, yeah. dude. Oh yeah. That's I mean, just it awesome. just, it was like, whatever, you know, <laughs> have you ever seen the meme where the guy's on the, um, on the platform and he's like celebrating, biting the coin, shooting the champagne. And then it zooms out and he's in like third place. He didn't win. That was you, Josh. You were in like the very last spot, <laughs> just like shooting the champagne, celebrating. And it's like 39. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was me this week for sure, bro. Love whatever. It. I'll take were, it. Did you catch tons of fish though? I did. Yeah. I probably caught. 
30 to 50 each day in the tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, in practice, I didn't fish a lot. I literally just marked stuff. And then in the tournament, you know, uh, a, a drop shot was really key. I was really catching them cranking good at Pickwick. And boy, when you could get those schools fired up, it would be cast after cast after cast after cast. And I've got some of it on video. I did some video with my buddy, John, and I'll post it. Um, but it was amazing. And Chickamauga, the fish were just that much more pressured and, and on another level of intelligence. And you can catch one once in a while on a crankbait, but dude, you would pull up to a school and the key is trying to catch, you know, the bigger ones first, right? Like that's your best chance before you've alerted them that you're here. You pull up and you throw out a big bait, a big fish bait, like a big crankbait or a swim bait and try to trick the big one first. Because once the, once a two pounder bites, they're like, ah, must be a fisherman trying to catch us again, yeah. you know? So dude, you do it every time and you, you throw all the big stuff out there. Nothing, 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 nothing. And then you pull out a drop shot every cast zing 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 catching them on every cast so it's unbelievable how much they like a little pink drop shot worm over there just like they like it here in arizona it was yep. it was hilarious from what i from what i saw from the weigh-ins the guys talking about the garmin the panoptics was a huge player huh it was amazing yeah it was really cool because those ledges the fish as they get pressured they also shuffle around a little bit right so like if you're catching them on one particular shell bed and they get really hammered, they might slide up to the top or the neck to the edge of the shell bed or the shell bed over here. And and with live scope, you could be sitting there knowing whether or not you're casting at fish. And, and one thing that was really helpful, yeah, is like you, you can slow your bait down a lot more if you know it's in front of fish, right? You know, your yep. presentation, yep. instead of dragging it through there quickly, wondering if it's in front of one, if it's in front of them, you can leave it there until one of them bites it. Uh-huh. So with the with the other boats on the ledges, that's got to add to your frustration, though, sometimes, right? When you're like you want to move around, probably, and you can't. Yeah, I, I mean, I experienced it Is a couple that... times for sure where you, you have to fish defensively. You want to fish it at a certain angle and you have to fish it right. But someone starts coming in near your school of fish. And if if you're not sharing it with them and you really don't want to let them in, sometimes you literally have to position your boat wrong just until these guys get out of the way. So sometimes right. I would literally put my boat on top of the school of fish and cast away until this dude would leave yeah. and then get back into position, let the fish settle down and get back to work. You know, so that is that's, you know, instead of being able to hit them with it. And sometimes you couldn't if you did want to try to fire up a big one on a crankbait, there's not even room to crank. Right. <laughs> you can't that's even cast terrible. it. Yeah, that sucks. That stuff. You're allowed to long line. And uh, my buddy Gerald, who I want to get Gerald on the podcast next week uh, to talk about cooking and eating fish. Uh, we'll have some cool stuff to talk about. But uh, Gerald Spore, he is he makes a deal with a guy. He goes, we're both going to uh, he's like, there's two of us here. It's a long ledge. I want a long line. Let's both just long line opposite directions and work together. Well, they both ended up. Uh, doing it, you know, and they get their cast about halfway in and they're hundred yards from each other or whatever. And Gerald's got one, dude. And the other guy's got one and they're fighting back and forth. And as their lines <laughs> tightening up more, the, it's starting to rise. You know, you're cranking with so much line out. You got a soft rod. You don't feel everything perfectly. And they're both like, this is a good one. This is a good one. And all of a sudden they realize they got each other, dude, professional. And it's nothing on them, dude. Just, yeah. Just it, the whole week was just a, it was a crap show out there, dude. It was funny. So, so, what would that lake have fished like with 40 boats or 80 boats? It would have been a lot different. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, it was just, you know, yeah. I There were a lot of schools that, again, I just wish I never even got to fish because I just, 
I picked other ones over it, never, never got in. And you even forget about some when you're so focused on trying to fish this one and protect this one. And, um, I'm sure everyone else would say the same thing, man, but, but it is what it is. And it's cool. Yeah. How do you explain that body of water? Is it like a river? Is it narrow and long and what's it like? It is. It's part of the Tennessee river, but it's still a couple miles wide in most places or in some places anyways, it's a river lake, you know, all those lakes, they, they're part of the Tennessee river and to generate power, what they'll do is they'll, they'll move current and it's usually more in the afternoons and it's, and the big fish bite, we talked about it last episode, the big fish bite when that current moves. So it'd be like a flip of a switch. You'd have a spot and you're catching two pounder, two pounder, two pounder, and then the current starts moving and it's three, the three to five pounders just literally show up out of the abyss and they were probably just suspended. And now they come down and sit on the bottom and they decide to eat. So it's pretty interesting how that all works. And there's a, you know, the Tennessee river is cool because there's an app that you can download and it shows everything real time shows what they're running to the hour. So, uh, yeah, it's really cool, man. You can usually predict, you know, if the last four days during the week, they ran it, uh, you know, 10,000 CFS or whatever the measurement is until, um, noon. And then at noon, they crank it up to 30. It's like clockwork, man. And, um, Gerald made a really good point too. He's like, Hey, it's like running the tide, you know, because when they start pulling out of the dam, the fish by the dam feel it first. And you could literally be on a spot down there, get them. And then later in the day, you know, an hour later, it only starts moving on the upper end, you know, 30 miles up Lake, uh, an hour later. So you kind of run it like a tide if you're dialed in and can get on your spots. But again, that wasn't even an option this week. It wasn't even the luxury because it was like, you might have spots up there, but you, you know, they're going to be hard to get on. Yeah. You guys hate one other crazy thing is you guys are fishing mayfly hatch. No, not I for saw, bass. You I have for trout. John, I saw John post something. John Murray posted something with a bunch of mayflies. What's, what's the deal on that? Dude, it was crazy. It was almost like an end of the world looking thing. Like it's not a big deal for them out there because they're used to seeing mayfly hatches. But for a guy like me that lives in Arizona and I don't <laughs> see a mayfly hatch every year, it's creepy, dude. Like these things, there are millions and millions and millions of them floating down the river and in the trees. And uh, one of the guys, uh, Miles Berghoff, that was in the top 10, uh, was totally on a mayfly deal, man. It was kind of cool. It's a whole circle of life thing where the bluegills get up and start eating the heck out of those mayflies. And any big bass that are left hanging around shallow will get around those bluegills. So it's a great way to catch them on a frog or a jig or a popper or something like that. You know, something you're imitating bluegill, but you're fishing around the mayflies. Wow. Explain, explain who Miles Berghoff is. Isn't who's his dad? Dude, I don't know. Tell isn't oh, I know Miles. From, isn't it radar from MASH? Am I wrong? Well, they call Miles Sonar. So I, that would make a ton of sense. We need to look into that because I, I thought you would know right off, but well, I Well, no, I'm and sure I know Miles is cool. I, I like I've talked to Miles ten times, dude. More than that, but um I don't know his dad, so hey, probably what, what would the odds of his nickname being Sonar if his dad wasn't yeah, Radar, it's gotta, right? Yeah, it's gotta be so anyhow. That's yeah, pretty that's, crazy though. That's cool, right? On. Well, hey, uh our uh, our silly section today is going to be our our top fives. We're back on the top fives. Our 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 uh, trivia is over, so we're doing top fives, and I've got a couple cool ones. Um, I don't know if this one's going to be cool, but I figured it would be easy. Today we're going to do top five fishing TV shows of all time based on popularity. 
So I've, I've given okay. it a little bit of thought. Um, and I think sticking to fresh water probably be the best way to do this. And uh, there's no rights and wrongs, but I just want to see what you guys think. And again, see what our listeners think. Um, same thing. I've got a list. I'm keeping a list of all the baits that we missed last week from listeners. And there were some good ones that were emailed yep. to me. I'll, I'll bust them out in one of the following episodes. But um, the ne- And for next week, we're going to go top five fishing excuses on why you didn't catch them. Uh, <laughs> I want to give you guys can more we, time to talk about that. Can we do top that. 10? Yeah, dude, I love it. That <laughs> could be 100. a whole episode. That'd be a whole episode. But how about uh, how about for TV shows? When do you guys want to start us with a with one slam dunk that everyone knows and made a really big mark? Yeah, yeah. Falling off the bank, tripping over his boat hitch. Heck yeah, I would say out of all the guys, like Jimmy Houston, Roland Martin, Hank Parker, they're all absolutely classic, amazing t- fishing TV shows that make you feel warm and fuzzy watching them. They remind me of being a kid laying on the couch you know, watching it on Saturday or Sunday morning, but Bill Dance is the most popular and probably the biggest yep. of all time. Yeah, and like you said, you're laying on the couch Saturday or Sunday when it's on because you couldn't Devo or TiVo it or, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like nowadays everything's at the touch of your fingers, so it's it was a big deal when you caught it at the right time. Dude, 100%. you set an alarm for it. If you weren't going fishing, right, you'd get up early oh. to watch ESPN2. And I would yeah. still say, even though I think Bill Dance was fishing some of the finer stocked ponds throughout the Midwest of the United <laughs> States, and and not to discredit his abilities, if you would have put him on that ledge next to Wheeler, he would have beat Wheeler. That guy has just <laughs> the fishing ability. You put him on that butt seat in the bow of the boat, and you give him a little short bait caster rod with a double willow blade chartreuse spinner bait, and he would have kicked his teeth in. That was just ability. Just pure fishing ability right there. Some of these guys, too, people forget how what they – I know you're being sarcastic there, Nick, on that. But, like, what this guy did on the tournament scene in the early days is nothing to scoff at either. You, you, the, right. We know these guys for their TV shows, but they were the they were the, the OGs of, of bass fishing tournaments. Kind of funny. How about, how about Hank Parker? I just watched a deal on him. Uh, he won the Classic in – 89 right and he also wanted in 79 i believe um I, I think it was 79 but what's funny is his career he'd only been fishing bassmasters like a year maybe two years when he won it the first time so like he went from a good fisherman just launched his career by winning the classic two years into his career and then had a storied career for 10 years won it in 89 and quit walked so, away kind of a genius move right and like i think it just winning that first one allowed him to be such a big shot winning in in 89 and then quitting and just like he'll never he'll be part of bass fishing forever you know you're totally right he played his cards absolutely perfectly he was able to be at home be a dad you know and do that and he still goes hard like he was at a i was at a mercury marine summit last june and uh he was there dude we ate uh I got a picture of him and uh, Jimmy Houston sitting there with ice cream cones at uh, Culver's. <laughs> Hilarious, man. That's we had we had an entire bus full of fishermen and uh, after dinner, and Jimmy Houston forced the bus driver to drive us over to Culver's so we could get. Uh, I'm so Smart not man. even kidding, dude. Yeah, and we we all and and he he also he just gets he gets what he wants, dude. He forced Ott Defoe to buy for everyone since he had just won the classic. So Ott. Oh. That's awesome. Uh, it, uh, yeah, he put in the bill. Pretty funny. Uh, wow. How about 
uh, I'm going to take this thing completely away from the bass fishing spectrum, but uh, you got to recognize it for the amount of people that talk about it. River monsters. Yeah, there we go. Jeremy it's, Wade. It's it's so dumb, dude, but it has to be recognized, right? Any non-fishing person, if you bring up fishing to them, they will say that, right? Do you watch River Monsters? Absolutely. The kids love it. Non-anglers love it. Anglers don't watch it, but it just has to get recognized. Dude, I saw an episode where he was trying to catch some exotic catfish. I want to say it was like maybe in England, like a catfish and for the first time it was actually somewhat technical fishing it didn't just require like half of a pig with a giant hook (laughs) through it where he just like flops it out there and opens the bale and then takes a nap and catches it so he's standing on the 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 bow of a boat and they're going down a river and he's actually having to make like technical casts around structure oh his excuses were amazing really yeah he was having tack uh tackle issues um, I, but he was, you know, he wasn't just saying, well, I royally suck. We need to cut this and go, you know, catch something else. He was just excuse, excuse, excuse. It was, that was the best episode. I need to find that and I'll share the link because it was, it was so fitting. We're going to need that for the next episode, uh, on fishing excuses. But dude, my favorite thing about his show would be every time like leading up to when he would actually get on the water, he'd be interviewing like the local communities <laughs> or tribes. And there'd be stories about how it ate, you know, a couple kids, <laughs> This, this species of fish had bit off this guy's leg or eaten a couple kids or, or uh, you know, eating local dogs and cats and stuff. And it was always they tried to make him seem so dangerous. It was a uh, he's like speaking to the local interpreter who's like clicking and whistling and using sign language and stuff because they had to go to like the most remote corners of the earth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Have you, have you guys ever seen the fishing show with Kurt Gowdy? Like, isn't that one of the original ones? Have I don't think so, name? man. I don't think so. So I was Is it national? I believe so. I was fishing down a bank at uh, San Carlos years ago, and a guy goes, who do you think you are, Kurt Gowdy? I'm like, what? Because so, you were looking a like a pro? Because you were in your jersey? That's right. Just because I, yeah, right. I, I thought it was pretty funny, though. But hey, You see these patches, bro? You're damn right. <laughs> Step down. <laughs> this is my bank now. That's right. Uh, I'd take it to the bank. Dude, I okay. I'm gonna guess your next one. I'm I, something in Fisherman, right? Oh, is beautiful. That, yeah, yeah, that was that was my call. first one. Absolutely. Okay, all uh, right. What a legendary fishing family and uh, the in Fisherman yep. secret system uh, is long living. <laughs> Dude, do you remember uh, what did they call that pond by the airport? Is it Fisherman's Pond or something like oh, we that? We used to here? call it the Oasis, but I think the it Oasis. Had a couple different uh, names. Dude, one time uh, it wasn't Al Linder. Give me another name. Ron. Maybe it was Roy? Ron. I think you know, it, it was the bigger, heavy set guy with a beard. So maybe that is Al, right? It was a plaid. Uh, they all shirt had beards, where, man. They all okay. had, had and have beards. So I was, I was so young, man. We, we used to have a guide who would take us out there because you, you know, it was that little pond where you had to have a connection to get in there. And there was a guy who we'd pay to take us. And he was filming a show, and I'll never forget, man. He, uh, he autographed. I don't even remember. I feel like maybe he autographed like my forehead or something because I couldn't find anything for him to sign. But I remember what a huge deal that was. It's oh, like cool. a seven-year-old kid. Like I just met. I think it was Alan. It was like it, I could have just died in a car accident on the way home. Would have been totally fine. He was like the pinnacle of what I and thought was, needed to be. He was filming a show on the Oasis. Oh, of course, dude. Like probably some really <laughs> advanced technique on like. How to catch bass in really pressured, difficult situations. Dude, they did such <laughs> random stuff. Dogs. 
He might have literally, dude, it might have been like how to catch bass in strip pits. Like they did all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like it was in a strip pit, dude. dude I mean, and then hey, you'd buy a VHS tape of it at Walmart, right? For nineteen ninety nine, you could get that. Hey. <laughs> I give those guys a lot of props, dude. It's cool, man. Entrepreneurs, you gotta love it. Oh yeah, and there's still a lot of them are still doing stuff. They're not under the in fisherman name anymore, but like Troy is a buddy of mine and he's Al's son. And, uh, he's, he's doing uh TV for some other thing with some of his other relatives. And, uh, Al, I think lives part-time in Lake Havasu city, like spends the winters in Havasu and, uh, fishes over there all the time. Nice. I've seen him at Wands and stuff a few times. Uh, okay. So that's an obvious one. Those are good ones. And I'm going to wrap, I'm just going to say tournament shows. It's, it's hard. I don't, I don't want to sit here and pick between MLF and Bassmaster. Bassmaster is the iconic, been going forever. forever. MLF is the new, exciting. You know, everyone loves to watch it, and um, you know, it, they're they're both great. But uh, I don't know. I'd say uh, just you know, tournament. And, and Rob's talked about the tournament stuff before. What's so cool about it? Tournament TV is it's it's non-manufactured. It's the real deal. So whatever you see the guys doing, it is truly the best way to catch fish in their mind. And what you see them doing is like. It's no BS at all, unfiltered. Yeah, not, nothing staged, because I'm sure all these other shows have staged nothing either. But exactly, I'm Rob. Exactly. Joking. Well, so yeah. many, so many fish catches are staged on a lot of fishing shows, and you'll see, you'll see a guy wearing a different shirt in a 20-minute segment. It's like, oh man, <laughs> took you yeah. three days to film that. <laughs> or fishing but, in a strip pit that's just full of five-pound largemouth. <laughs> right, but like Josh says that the tournament shows that's legit real stuff you know and it's exciting to watch it's exciting to see guys emotions you know how excited they get or how chill they are even you know when they catch a big fish so yeah every guy's completely chance, different yeah if you get a chance there's a guy by the name of lynn dollar he's on um youtube on youtube he's put a ton of the old Bassmaster stuff on, and it's pretty, it's pretty fun to watch. And it's amazing how the tournament, how they're capturing the tournaments today compared to how they used to. It's amazing the, the amount of technology that they're, you know, with the cameras in every boat and the, you know, they just, how, they really do a good job nowadays. How about live scoring, dude? I mean, it's crazy that it's they've insane. got live scoring now It's and, and yeah. not to just you know, pump up MLF. Uh, but I, I really dude, It's so cool. To, and it's so cool to watch because, uh, you're actually getting the reactions of the fishermen when other yeah. guys are, are catching fish. It's uh it's hilarious yeah. to watch. And, it's, and I, I find myself watching the live, um, just like any other sporting event. Like I'm not a big NASCAR guy, but if I sit down in the last 10 laps, I'm going to watch it sure. because I want to see who wins just like the live stuff. You're sitting there the last 10 minutes of the third period and, so-and-so is sitting on 20th and going to get cut and it's fun to watch like you're rooting for your buddies to stay in there you're rooting for you know people to get knocked out and it's just it's it's pretty exciting stuff to watch for sure it's gnarly it's uh that live scoring also is it makes it really interesting um throughout the course of a day to see like uh just fish behavior and fish habits like it'll go completely dead for like 30 minutes. And I'll be like, are you sure? I'll ask the boat official, are you sure that uh, we have a service right here? Is something frozen? And all of a sudden it'll hit and it'll be like ding, 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 ding. And it'll stop again. And then it'll be slow and steady and then it'll die. And then it'll go ding, 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 ding. And uh, it's like a lake wide fish bite at the same times lake wide. And you also uh, realize like um, 
it always, and I, I read this in an article recently, but it was totally true, but it also teaches you how it takes a full day for like things to develop. Like you go to an awesome fishing lake and you go out and catch like two fish in the first two hours and you're like, I'm getting killed. It's going to take me, I'm going to need 20 pounds today and I've only got two fish and it's nine o'clock and I'm going to start, you know, panicking and running around like a chicken with my head cut off. But with the live scoring, you might see that, well, I'm in 18th place and I only have two fish. So there's the whole field's kind of struggling right now. I just need to trust what I'm doing. They're going to bite better later. And, um, so it's interesting just to, just to, um, get a, a wider scope of what's going on in the fishing day than just your own little box. Yeah. So you you use it for a, for a positive versus a negative, right? Like it sometimes. Yes. For, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, it, it goes sure both some ways. Some guys go, oh man, I'm not catching them. Everyone else is. And it panics them a little bit, you know, how many times have you been on these best, you know, trophy fisheries, Delta, Clear Lake, uh, you know, just the best lakes and, uh, and you don't get them early and you just, it just yep. messes with your mind, man. For sure. But yeah, it just takes all day. Um, yep. Yep. Well, any others before uh, we wrap up? Any other TV shows I'm missing, guys? Oh. Well, you said freshwater only. The, there's one saltwater one that I really enjoyed. It was uh, Jose Wahebe. Is that how you say it? Spanish oh, fly. there you go. Yeah. That dude, that dude like, he was a, ahead of his time in the quality of the show. It was a really good show. In production uh, quality? Yeah, dining up. What's that? In production quality or? Yeah, just everything. It was an enjoyable show, even though he wasn't catching fish that I was interested in. It was, it was entertaining to watch. Sure. Yeah. Yep. That's and cool. I died in a plane crash, what, probably 15 years ago? Gosh. A small a plane? Ago, so. I remember yep. when that happened. Yep. So, but he was, he was ahead of his time for sure. So. Dude, you know, and I wonder what the story was, but the only time that I fished anywhere, you know, he was, he was kind of like saltwater, but also like kind of light tackle and sometimes shallow. I don't think he did as much of like the, the big, the big bill fishing and all that stuff. And uh, that one trip I made in the small plane to that little island in the Bahamas, you got to have a lot of adventure seeking blood to do that com- regularly. Cause that was, that was nuts, man. So, whew. <laughs> He, yeah, he probably did it all the time. Dude, I, I mean, because all those destinations he filmed, I'm sure he, I'm sure he was probably flying it. Gosh. Yeah. That's so. gnarly, dude. I, that would probably prevent me from going on the trip. That freaks me out. Yeah, me too. That's dude, cool. Well, hey, that's a great more boring mention. and scared of things I get. Yeah, that's a, that's a that? good one. Well, uh, I, I was going to say, that's a great honorable mention, I think. And, uh, you know, on the saltwater side, that probably is the one that everyone knows. It was on for so long and such a good show. Uh, and yeah, I gave the Jimmy Houston, Roland Martin, Hank Parker, they're all very worthy of being in this conversation too. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's a lot of great shows on now that in, in 10 or 20 years, they'll, they'll be on that list uh, also. But, um, yeah, next week, f- top, top 10 fishing excuses. We'll do that. And, uh, shoot, I think that, uh, that about wraps it up. Um, appreciate you guys coming on. Really happy to uh, be able to do this again. Thanks to the listeners for sticking it out that extra week without a show. And, um, Hopefully uh, they didn't all forget about us. Hopefully there's going to be a couple people that listen when this thing drops tomorrow. (laughs) Fingers crossed. All right, guys, I'll talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, guys. We missed you last week and appreciate you guys tuning in this week. We've got some great guests coming up starting next week, so make sure you don't miss that. And we hope you guys all have a great week.